Everybody here knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Say amen. amen. All right. That's a good bit of you. We're glad to have Brother Chester back with us. He was on the mission field uh, for a while there. We're glad he's back home. We're glad to have Alice and Willie here. They've been out a while, too, and uh, we're glad to have them. And I think Brother Keith mentioned Brother Abraham's cousin back there. He's watching out for Brother Abraham while Sister Michelle's away. He's from New York. He's got his hands full. Uh, <laughs> we're glad to have him with us uh, this morning. If you got your Bibles with you, I hope you do. We're in uh, the last in the series of uh, Ecclesiastes. I'm talking about the facts of life, part two. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, if you want to follow along with the reading. And let's read together. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop and the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bow is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything's meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, or collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind for God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing whether it's good or evil the facts of life you know it's tough being a parent it's complicated uh, how do you become a parent how do you learn to be a parent you learn mostly from your parents you learn from the experts around you that's supposed to know that. You learn from the Word of God, certainly, that gives us guidelines. But a lot of learning to be a parent, you learn on the job. It's on the job training. What's the toughest thing about being a parent? I wrote down some things. In the early years, it's tough physically. Uh, waking up all hours of the night, say amen, men. Uh, chasing a two- or three-year-old around the house. It's tough when everybody's telling you what you ought to do. It's tough when other parents are comparing their kids to your kids. 
It's tough when you're trying to treat your kids equally, but some kids require a lot more attention. It's tough when you feel guilty about the time you don't spend with them or the time you blow up in anger. It's tough trying to find the right balance between love and discipline sometimes. Being the bad guy at times, you want them to love you, but you need them to respect you too. It's tough answering a hundred questions every day. It's tough when you're trying to protect and shield them, but sometimes you need to let them reap what they sow. It's tough being a parent. Jeff Foxworthy, the, the comedian, said, the more kids you have, the worse parenting skills you have. He says, when you have one child, you go overboard. You say, that child's going to have the best of everything. I'm, I'm going to grow an organic garden and grind his own food so he will, he will not have anything from the store. Anything. He's going to have the best of everything, healthy. time you get to the fourth child, you're sitting there watching TV, and the child gets a milk dud out from the table, been there for of about three years. Wipe that off and get the cat hair off before you eat that, boy. So it, our, change, our parenting does seem to change. One of the most difficult things about being a parent is talking to your children about the facts of life. I'm still waiting for that moment when it's a good time for me to talk to my children. They're in their 40s and 30s about the facts of life. I haven't found it yet. Uh, it's very difficult. I remember when I asked my father, I was about 10, 11 years old, we had hound dogs, and my cousin and uncle, they had hound dogs and, uh, for deer hunting and everything, and they were talking one day about breeding one of our dogs to one of their, his gyps and whatever, and, and uh, I got daddy alone, and I said, what is breeding? What does that mean? He had that funny look on his face. He said, you know what that means, don't you? I said, I don't think so. I'm not sure what that word means. He said, breeding? He said, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know a man and a woman? I said, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. And I did after that. I didn't know what the word meant. I remember in school, I was in fifth grade. And a boy that I was in school with, he had older brothers, and he brought us a bunch of dirty pictures to look at, and I wasn't even sure what I was looking at at the moment. And I give them back to him. And I said, let me see them one more time. I, 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 it's, it's amazing how uh, we let the, the world teach us. We let the, uh, the schools teach us. I tell you what, parents, you better teach your kids in this evil world today because what the world teaches them goes against this book. It goes against nature. It goes against common sense. We need parents today to certainly raise up and to train our kids about the facts of life, no doubt about it. Last week on this series, we talked about to live a life, to live a life that's blessed and, and pleasing God, uh, to enjoyable life as a Christian life, you need to live by faith. That's one of the most, uh, Christian life is exciting because you're trusting God and expecting God to do things at all times. You live a Christian life, a blessed life, you learn how to rejoice in the Lord and see the, the joy of the Lord in everything, no matter what's going on around you. It's a great Christian life we looked at last week whenever you learn how to lay aside things, the things that the weight and the sin that used to hold you back. You get to shirk off those things that once held you back. Today we're going to look at some more things that are part of really living life from a man that lived life to the fullest. He was not a good example in a lot of things, but he learned a lot over his life. But we're going to look at the other things as we go to part two. The Christian life is about remembering. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. 
Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. I want to talk about the power of memory for just a moment. Remembering things is a big part of life. God gave us a brain so we can think, but with that brain we also remember a lot of things. Somebody said one time, and I never forgot it, the biggest problem we have as Christians is we forget things we need to remember, and we remember things we need to forget. And that's a big, big problem with us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talking about the, the Old Testament saints and the problems they had, he says, don't forget, remember what they did and learn from their example so you don't have to go through some of the things they went through. The Bible has a lot to say about remembering. Remember now thy creator. In the New Testament it says, remember, in the Old Testament, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. The thief on the cross cried out at the last hour and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The greatest warning in the New Testament is only three words. Jesus said them. Remember Lot's wife. Every time we have communion, we say, remember the cross. Do this in remembrance of me. Every last Monday of May, we have Memorial Day where we remember those who died fighting for this country, fighting for our freedom and our liberty. Remember, God gave the Israelites seven feasts so they would never forget what these feasts represent, whether it's Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, remember, don't forget those things. I don't know how many of you know it, but there is a, I don't think it's called the Memory Olympics anymore, but it's a memory championships. Every year they have a contest to people can enter to see who has the best memory. And just to give you some example, this is, I can't even imagine this kind. One of the best uh, in the past, they give you five minutes to look at numbers. And the one that did the best at this remembered 630 numbers in the right sequence. And after looking at them for five minutes, after a 15-minute session, they took 224 names and matched them with 224 pictures of people they'd never seen before. They could do that after 15. I was going to enter that contest. I'd probably forget what day the contest was on. Uh, but it's a, uh, one man said, I, have a I used to have a photographic memory, but I've run out of film. And there's no doubt about that. One of the blessings of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, our counselor, our comforter, our paraclete, there's many blessings and many things he does for us. Let me just tell you. He empowers us to be witnesses, Acts 1.8. He gives us hope in the midst of trials, Romans 15.13. He helps in the sanctification process as we grow in holiness, 1 Peter 1.2. He helps us in our prayers. We don't even know how to pray like we ought to in Romans 8.26.27. He guides and directs our steps, Acts 13.4. He convicts us of sin, John 16.8. But here's something he does that we don't talk about a lot. He helps us remember. John 14, 26, did I give you that one? Okay. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. 
Thank God for his remembrance and his helping us to remember. Now, uh, Ecclesiastes, Psalm, uh, Solomon says this, Remember now thy creator in the days of your youth. Let's remember our creator. Look at what he says. He didn't say remember your savior there, even though we should remember your deliverer, remember your provider, remember your protector. He says remember your creator the one who made you, the one who shaped you, gave you a purpose for living. In Matthew 6, Jesus said one time, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, you know, food, clothing, and so forth, will be added unto you. Solomon's saying, remember, make this a top priority, remember your creator while you're young. In the Bible, there are basically five different age periods. And let me explain them to you. Infant. The Bible mentions the infant Jesus. The baby uh, Jesus was an infant from birth to about probably about the first year or so. Uh, an, an infant is somebody that's totally dependent upon their parents. They're helpless. They can't do anything for themselves. They're totally there. But that's the stage, the first year or so of life. And then you go to the child stage. A child usually started when you're about two or three, goes on up, you know, next 10 years or so you're a child during the child stage you know in the jewish religion in their custom uh, when a boy reaches 13 a girl reaches 12 uh, they have bar mitzvah and, and bat mitzvah that means up until that age the parents are responsible for that child's behavior what they do after that then the child has to be more responsible for what they're doing but that's a certain their coming of age is really what that means uh, it's very hard in that stage of life, but in that stage of life, from about age two or three up till then, is when a child learns most of what they're going to learn in life. They learn this. They learn respect for authority. They learn respect for the rights of others. Uh, they learn honesty, patience, study, and work habits, concern for others, and a lot of things like that. That's the childhood stage. Uh, let me say this. When Jesus, when the wise men came to see Jesus, they said the child was in a house. That was probably when Jesus was two or three years old. He was an infant there in the manger. By the time the wise men got there, he was a child in a house, and uh, he was just a little long, farther along. The youth stage, though, that we were talking about after that uh, is kind of what we call the teenage years and things like that. That's when kids are struggling to break free from their parents, trying to be independent, think on their own, doing their own thing can be a very tough part of life, especially if you didn't train them very well in that childhood stage. Adult stage. In the Bible, you were an adult roughly at the age of 20 because you could go to war at 20. Whenever it come time to go into the, the promised land, those the generation that, that got wiped out they, for 40 years, they started at the age of 20. Uh, and so 20 and down, uh, whenever you become 20, that's when you become an adult. Uh, the girls were still under the care of their father, but uh, boys were able to fight and, and grow up and so forth. So adult stage is from about 20 until you get old, and the last stage is the, the elderly stage or the hoary head stage. The hoary head means the gray, gray hair or white-haired stage, the last years of your life, the, the sunset years. And here's what Solomon says, remember your creator when you're young. I've read these statistics a long time, and they're by people that studied them for decades. And here's what they say. It's hard for us to grasp. Most people 
And their relationship with Christ goes along this line some, somehow or another. 15% of people receive the Lord before they're six years old. 32% receive the Lord as their Savior between the age of 7 and 11. 37% between the age of 12 and 19. That's when I received the Lord. 11% receive the Lord between the age of 20 and 29. And only 5% after the age of 30. 95% receive the Lord before they're 30. Now, most of this congregation is certainly over 30. If you haven't received the Lord, we're not giving up on you, but your odds are shrinking quickly. If you're going to do something, today is the day of salvation. Why is it important to come to the Lord and remember the Lord when you're young? I'll give you three reasons. There are many reasons. One is, now you have your whole life to serve Him. You have your whole life to seek God and to be his vessel and be his servant. When you're young, you have older people that can be your mentor, that can help you grow, can help answer questions, can help develop you and help be there for you. You've got people above you that can certainly help you through that stage. And number three, if you'll give the Lord your heart when you're young, you don't have to waste and mess up your life and live a life of regrets and have to say, I wish I'd have done this. So do it when you're young. I'll tell you this. The Lord called out to people when they were young. Many of the people in the Word of God were young when the Lord called them. Let me give you some examples. Samuel received a call from God. Josephus, Josephus the Jewish historian, says Samuel was 12 years old when God called him. Jeremiah, the Bible says God knew him. He said, I knew you before you was in your mother's womb. But God called him to be a prophet about the age of 17, a teenager. Mary, the mother of Jesus, most Bible scholars say she was probably 14, 15 years old when she had Jesus. That's a young vessel. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. The disciples, this is something I never really thought about. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. And he called his disciples. So I, I always pictured the disciples were about 30, uh, upper 20s. Most Bible scholars say that a person started following a rabbi usually from age 12 to 20. And most scholars think the disciples were teenagers. That might explain why they didn't understand very much. I don't know, because they didn't understand half of what Jesus was trying to teach them. They were still learning, still growing. But if they were teenagers, another reason they believe they were teenagers is Jesus sometimes called them children. Now, he's only 30. If they're about his age, he's not going to call them all children. But, for example, in John 13, 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. He, tell, he, he tells them they're children at times. Now, they acted like children a lot of times, but maybe they were just teenage boys. God does things with young people. I'm telling you this. It's prepare uh, he says, prepare now, give your heart to the Lord before the evil days come. It says in the King James Version, I believe the evil days have come. Uh, but there's still evil days ahead. But he says, do it early in life when you can get ready and geared up and protected before they hit you. And so you're prepared for it. Because he's going to start in verse 3 and go through 7 and tell you what happens when you get old. He says, do it while you're young, because when you get old, this is what's going to happen. Look at verse 3 through 7. 
He said, when the keepers of the house tremble, older people tend to tremble. They get, you get weaker. The strong men stoop. Older people begin to stoop. When the grinders cease because they're few, your teeth falling out. You can't chew as well. Those looking through the windows grow dim. Your eyesight usually gets dimmer as you get older. You know, he keeps going on. Uh, when people rise up at the sound of birds, you don't sleep as well. I can say amen. Yeah, I, I wake up a lot during the night. All their songs grow faint. Your voice isn't as strong, and you can't sing like you once did. People are afraid of heights. You have more fears. You're more insecure. You're afraid you're going to fall. You're afraid of this and this. You don't have a lot of stability. When the almond tree blossoms, the hair turns white or turns loose. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Your desire, the people go to their eternal home. He's talking about old age. He's making a contrast between give the Lord your life early. When old age hits in, your life's changing. You're on your sunset years there and things are beginning to change. I remember the old story a long time ago. A 92-year-old man and 91-year-old woman walking to the pharmacy. And said, I'd like to talk to the manager of the pharmacy. And I've got the manager. He said, yes, sir. What can we do for y'all? He said, do you sell Geritol in here? Yes. Do you sell Metamucil? Yes. Do you have things for acid reflux? Oh, yeah. Do you have uh, Depends, diapers, and things like that? Yes. You got canes? Yes, you got this. You got, you got pills for backaches and Things for heartburn and things for indigestion. You got this. He says, yeah, 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 we got all that. He said, good, we're getting married next week. We're going to use this for our wedding registry here. Uh, so anyway, old age is, is not, a, is not a ple always a pleasant time of the year or the season. Uh, but that's what he's saying. Give the Lord your heart while you're still young. So life is about remembering. Here's the second thing he's going to say. Life is about learning. Learning, verses 9 through 12. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and said in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goats. They're, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Somebody said this, life is like school in the reverse. He says, you don't know, you don't learn your lessons sometimes until you've had the test. And that's the way it is. Life is like that. God uses a lot of things to teach us. We're, we're always supposed to be learning in this life. He uses his word to teach us. He uses the Holy Spirit to teach us. He uses the examples of other people to teach us. He, he teaches us through our trials and circumstances of life. We're, we're constantly supposed to be learning. Paul said this in Philippians 4.11 after he talked about, I know what it's like to have money in my pocket. I know what it's like to have nothing. He said, I've learned to be content. That's something he had to learn. It's not something you read in the book, so be content, okay, I'm going to be. He said, I've learned through experience of life to be content when I have it and when I don't have it. Now, Solomon uses uh, phrases like goads and nails. Goads were usually those things that helped prod the, the ox that was plowing for you 
Uh, the nails were things you nailed things down with. He says, but let the word of God and, and be taught, be constantly prodded and nailed, nailed down convictions and things in your heart. Verse 12 says, many books are constantly being written. You know, people are always trying to teach us through the books that we read. But a lot of times their books contradict each other. You need to stay with this book most of all. And let that be your teaching and that, let that be your guide. He said, so the Christian life is not only about remembering, the Christian life's about learning. And the third thing he says, the Christian life is about fearing, fearing God. Hmm. Now, he starts off that section there. Let's look at verse 13. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. One time the preacher was getting ready to preach, and then he said, okay, in conclusion. And the little boy nudged his daddy said, what does in conclusion mean, daddy? He said, nothing. It means nothing. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to say in conclusion. We're winding down, but it's going to be a little while before we get there. Uh, in conclusion, he says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Okay. Now, He's winding down. He's winding up. He's going to start talking about fear, the fear of God. Now, there's a lot of types of fear. We, we use expressions like, I was scared to death. There is something called moral fear where people's heart has stopped because they've been so frightened. The Bible says in the last days, many people's hearts will fail them for fear, looking upon the things coming upon the earth. You know, a lot of people think, well, fear is not something we should even think about. Well, hold on just a minute. We're talking about the fear of God. John, the revelator, John, the apostle, John, the disciple, he's the one that laid on Jesus' breast. He was close with Jesus. But when he saw Jesus in the resurrected form in Revelation, he fell at his feet as a dead man in fear. Now, Let's talk about what we're talking about in fear. Let me give you a definition of fear. Webster says it's this. It's a feeling of anxiety and agitation produced by the presence or nearness of danger, evil, or pain. Now, there's all kinds of fear. Darlene called me up here last Thursday and said, you've got to come home. I said, what's the matter? She said, there is a giant lizard in the house. I've, I've seen a lot of, we've gotten a lot of lizards out this four, four, five, six inches long. But them, I've seen some giant ones. They, they, I, I said, you can't get that out yourself? <laughs> and she said, no, and I'm not leaving this room till it's gone. I said, well, what about little Wesley? He likes to get lizards. Go call little Wesley, my grandson. She said, no, I can't. Go to, I'm not leaving. You come get this lizard. And I knew it was a Komodo dragon. It was something about that big. And I said, all right, I, I'm coming. One of us is going to die, either me or the lizard. I don't know which. <laughs> and so there it was behind the dresser. It was a pretty big one. So I got smart. I threw a towel on it and tried to get it. Finally got it out that way. It didn't kill it. It almost got me killed, but it didn't kill it. <laughs> but that's a different type of fear. I mean, I'm not one that likes to handle snakes. Or I'm not one that likes to look over the edge of a cliff or something like scared of heights sometimes some of those type of things are fears you know you can look at a line and be frightened but if you're at a zoo 
you're not frightened because you don't feel there's any imminent danger. There's a fence there or glass or whatever. So it's not the actual thing. It's how you feel something is. Now, that's what Webster defines fear as. Uh, that's not the same thing Solomon's talking about when it talks about the fear of God. Even though we have tremendous, it means reverence, awe, respect. Uh, we respect his power, his presence, his knowledge, his justice, uh, his holiness, and so forth. Oswald Chambers said this, The remarkable thing about fearing God is when you fear God, you fear nothing else. And if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Respect, reverence, all. Parents, we all know it and we all fall on this. If you tell your child to do something and you have to tell them four or five times or you have to yell or threaten them or bribe them, they don't respect your words. Over the years, you've either not followed up or whatever, so they're going to wait till you've told them eight or ten times or threaten them or come after them or whatever because you're, they don't have enough respect for you do what you said you're going to do. And so it's a very big thing. Do we respect and have a reverential fear of God? Some people say, I don't believe we should fear the Lord. We should love the Lord. God is love, and we're supposed to love him. I don't want my kids fearing me. I want to love God. I don't want to have a fear for God. Well, your God's too small, I can tell you that. You don't understand who God is. Uh, he can, one day he's going to pour out his wrath, and he can show you what he, he'll do. Anyway, here's the benefits of fearing God. He's saying, as he winds this thing up, fear God. Fear God. Here's some things that, that benefits of fearing God. The fear of the Lord will lengthen your days. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Fear God if you want to extend your life. Add length to your life. We all want to live longer. Many people are trying to look younger, feel younger, dress younger, act younger. Uh, you've got Hollywood uh, plastic surgeons that, that make millions trying to make people look younger. They may be 60 and they want to look 30 or whatever. You know, we're always wanting to be younger. I, I read, and we want to live longer. We, want to, we just want to extend our life and just add years to our life. Food and Drug Administration said recently, fish oil tablets and omega-3 does not really do any good for you. Now, I take those. Uh, I'm wasting my time. I don't know. The experts tell us the secret to a longer life is eating healthy and getting plenty of exercise. Now, years ago, the FDA said this. Here's a report I read. If Americans will cut down on eating beef, they would extend their life. But you know what the conclusion was? It would extend your life two to four months. I'll go out of here two or four months early. Give me my hamburgers, pot roast, and steak. I'll tell you that. You can have that all you want. It ain't no better than that. Anyway, there's a lot of things that can make your life longer. Let me give you some things the Bible says. Loving and obeying God in Deuteronomy. The day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Keep his word, Proverbs 3, 1. My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands 
in your heart. It tells that that's how you extend your life. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It keeps them from killing you early. If you'll honor them, pay attention. That's many, one of the many ways. Anyway, fear God and it'll extend your life. Here's a note. Fear of the Lord brings wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, Solomon's known for his great wisdom. That's what he asked God for when, God, when he became the king. He says, I want to have the wisdom and understanding so I can discern and judge these people properly. And God was so proud of him, he'd give him wealth and fame and all this other stuff to go with. But that's what Solomon's known for, is the wisest man. And God gave him wisdom. It's his wisdom, not because he had a high IQ. He wasn't a genius, but he had insight into God and, and the things of God and human nature and things like this. It came because of the fear of the Lord. I know a lot of people that don't have a degree hanging up on the wall. They don't use big words when they talk, and they may not even graduate from high school, but they got wisdom. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. We've got a lot of smart people, but dumb, too. Wisdom, the ability to use that knowledge. The fear of the Lord will bring wisdom. The fear of the Lord produces holiness, Proverbs 16, 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided fear of the lord produces a holy lifestyle when you fear god you know the consequences of sin you're aware of the danger areas in life and you say god's warned me about that i don't want to disregard god or disobey god so a healthy fear of god is a good thing i tell you there's been a lot of dumb things going on in the last few years one of the dumbest i've ever heard was defund the police Let's get rid of the police for that. That's the, maybe the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Not, well, no, they topped it a week later, I think. But uh, you've got to have law and order, and you better have a healthy fear for them. Respect, because they represent the law and justice. And if you break it, you're going to suffer the consequence. I guarantee you, everybody here, when you're driving, and you come over the hill and you see a road patrolman, you either... You either flinch or you look at your speed. I guarantee you, nobody says, there's a rope patrolling. I'm going to speed up. No, you, you back off because you have a healthy fear of law. You have a fear for God. It produces a holy lifestyle if you fear God properly and fear the understand that. Well, yeah, a lot of them you're thinking, yeah, well, you're reading a bunch of Old Testament stuff. We're talking about the New Testament. We don't fear God anymore. You're wrong. I'm going to tell you why. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11. For we must, Paul's talking now, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know, since that we know what is, it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to to your conscience. Here's what he says. Because I fear God, I'm doing everything I can to tell other people about him. Yeah. Two things he means by that. I fear God, therefore I'm telling everybody, because I know I'm going to have to answer to God one day for what I did with my life. He told me to tell them, and if I'm not telling them, I'm going to have to answer for it. The second thing he says, 
the fear of God motivates me to talk to people about Jesus because if you don't receive Jesus, I know what's waiting for you. Not for 10 years or 20, for eternity. Because of the fear of God, my fear for God and the fear of what the lost are going to face, it motivates me. That's what Paul said. The book of Acts, there was a husband and wife. We know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Ghost, sold some land and kept back part and acted like they'd given it all and lied and they were struck down dead. In Acts chapter 5, let me show you what happened after they were struck down dead in church, given their offering. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them. They had great respect or great fear, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nobody else was joining the church at that time. Uh, is that all of it, or did I give you more? Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. What the in the New Test in the New uh, the King James Version. Here's what it says: Four things took place after that. It says they had great power. There was great unity in the church. They, the world had great respect for them, and great fear came on everyone. People want great faith, great feeling, great friendship, great fun. What we need, church, is great fear. Great fear of God. Acts 9.31, here's what it says. Then the church throughout, the Judea, uh, throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So, so Solomon said, I'm going to wrap this thing up here. In conclusion, I'm going to tell you what you need to have a life. You better fear God and keep his commandments. A lot of people today think the people that they want to emulate that has a great life are athletes, Hollywood actors, uh, musicians, entertainers. Man, they've got it made. They've got everybody loves them. They're making money. They live a lifestyle. That's what life's all about. Let me just read you some uh, quotes from some actors and musicians. There's many more, but I just picked out four. Cameron Diaz, she said, If you're looking for fame to define you, then you will never be happy. You will always be searching for happiness. You will never find it in fame. Hmm. Jim Carrey, another famous actor. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dream so they can see that it's not the answer. <laughs> Brad Pitt. I've been accused of looking like Brad Pitt. says this, the, <laughs> emphasis, the emphasis now on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, he says, and I'm telling you that it's not. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. Eric Clapton, a famous musician, guitar player, he said, I was a multimillionaire. I had all the beautiful women in my life I could want. I had cars, homes, and on a daily basis, all I wanted was to commit suicide. Here's a man that had more than anybody. He made Bill Gates and Elon Musk look poor. Solomon. He had more wives and concubines than you can count. He had everything life had to offer that should have made his life great. 
what he says is nothing. It's all meaningless. He, he kept using the word vanity. It's all vanity. It's empty. It's nothing. No lasting, lasting anything to it. He started off great. He said, Lord, all I want, when God gave him a blank check, he said, all I want is to be able to have the wisdom to judge these people and lead these people and so forth. And God gave him money and wealth. So he started off great, and he gave us a lot of Proverbs with his wisdom. And then when he started the wealth and the women and the wine and everything started coming, he lived the bulk of his life not pleasing God very much. And then the last part of his life, and when he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's looking back over his life, he says, everything I had was nothing, empty, vanity, everything. He said, so if you want me to sum it up, a lot of people like to take a scripture and try to dig as much deep stuff they can out of it. I, I tend to like to take something else that's complicated and deep and shrink it down to the simplest thing. And that's what he's fixing to do. He said, I'm going to sum up everything in life. If you want me to make it real, I'm not giving you any long proverbs or great wisdom. You fear God and keep his commandments. That's what he says. That's it. How many of you know have heard the name Alan Greenspan. How about Ben Bernanke? Janet Yellen? Jerome Powell? Most of you know who those people were or are. They were chairman of the head of the Federal Reserve, the central bank that controls, that our forefathers warned about. Jerome Powell is now the head. When he comes out to give a speech, I guarantee all of Wall Street's listening. All the investors are listening. They're listening for, if he says a word like bubble or going to raise the interest rate another quarter percent or half, whatever comes out of his mouth is going to affect billions of dollars and millions of people's lives because they're hanging on what he's fixing to say because he has whatever he says they better adjust their life accordingly because of the position he's in and here's what solomon says you listen to what comes out of the word of god's mouth and you build your life upon it and you adjust according to whatever he says and let that be the rule and guide of your heart and that's the summation of life. You fear him and do whatever he says. Just like Mary told him at the woman at the marriage of Canaan, whatever he says to you do, do it. That's what Solomon's conclusion was also. Just do it and fear God. Would you stand with me? And that's it. Now, everybody here, all different ages, all walks of life, all backgrounds, don't know what you're all about. All lifestyles, all financial positions. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not only going to have an empty life here. You've got an all eternity being separated from God and feeling the wrath of God for all eternity. 
If you're young and you haven't given your heart to Jesus, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Do it now while you're young and impressionable and God can shape and mold you and use you for all your life. If you're somewhere in between, you're playing games, uh, you're putting things off, whatever, you're going to miss out. And the day is going to end. And you miss it by one day, you've missed it for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, here we are, a congregation full of mostly believers. But I don't know if everyone here is a believer. I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm not talking about know a Bible story or two. I'm talking about somebody that says, my heart has been given to Jesus Christ. He has transformed my life. I've been born again, born anew. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you're here today and you can't say that, I invite you even now to find a place to come and pray. And we'll talk to you and we'll tell you how you can really begin to live. If you're later in life and you still questioning and wondering and not sure what you're going to do your days the clock's ticking on you i pray father for everyone here everyone's going to have to answer for you we can't get into heaven on the coattail of mom and daddy we're going to have to stand and answer to you for ourselves. i pray father each one here they're not ready to meet you may they learn from the wise man Solomon. Nothing in this world will fill your empty heart but Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life and changing my life. And I pray for everyone here. Thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for what you've done in our young people. Twelve of them give their heart to you. And I know that's when most will. But I pray, God, young or old, we're all going to have to. In Jesus' mighty name, we lift this up before you. Before we leave here today, God, we're going to leave here either rejoicing, knowing we're free in Christ, and we're on our way to heaven, or we're going to leave here the same way we came, taking on life by ourselves, and hoping things will work out in the end. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, may we learn from the wise man who had a hard time learning it himself. There's only one way, only one life, only one hope, and only one future. I pray, Father, get a hold of every heart and life. One day we'll stand before you. I'd rather stand before you now as my judge, as you judge sin and wipe it clean, than to stand before you then. We thank you, Master, for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight. Listen to the children give their testimony of what Jesus has done in their heart.